I feel like I forgot my six gun. <laughs> Wrong movie. Welcome to the Tabernacle. My name is John. Uh, I'm one of the pastors, and you picked a great weekend to be with us here and in Manistee or wherever you're listening or watching from. We're starting a six-week series uh, called Rattle. We're only two weeks away from Easter. Hard to believe, right? But the sun's out in northern Michigan. Is anyone fired up about that? Yeah, super fired up. And uh, if the weatherman's right, uh, at least 1% of the time, it'll be sunny again tomorrow. So uh, super fired up about that. But uh, rattle. When we talk about rattle in this context for the next six weeks, as we take a little break from 1 Samuel, we're talking about rattle as defined as is to disrupt, to disturb, or to upset the status quo. To disrupt, to disturb, to upset the status quo. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to a familiar passage for some, but maybe not for all, to the book of Ezekiel. And we're going to look at two different uh, passages, starting the first one will be in chapter 36, and then we're going to uh, look at a longer portion in 37. But before we get there, I'm I'm reminded, even as we kick off, that in Ephesians chapter 5, we are warned to live our lives wisely and not unwisely. Okay, so in Ephesians 5, it says, live your lives wisely, not as the unwise, It says to make the most of the days, make the most of the time that we've been given because the days are evil. Would anyone agree with me that it feels sometimes like the days are evil, right? Can't see you in Manistee, but I assume some hands there as well. Because we live in the times that we do, we're to make the most of the times. This is what I meant if you uh, listened or heard last week when I said what is vital to the Christian life is a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency. That's a vital ingredient. Now, what I don't mean is anxiety. I don't necessarily mean to be busy or or to be uh, uh, full of fear. But a sense of urgency means exactly what that passage in Ephesians 5 says. That the days are evil. We're to make the most of the time that we're given. The most of the opportunities that we're given. The most of the resources, the talent, the personality, the body. That we've been given. But what happens it seems as many times as. At least for me. Is I go through periods of time where I'm not motivated at all. That happened to me a couple days. Even in the past couple weeks. Where I had a day off. Uh, my, you know Friday is my day off. And I didn't feel like doing anything. You know. You guys ever feel that way? Where all of a sudden it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm still in my sweatpants. And I got all the stuff I need to get done on the outside. And there's all this play stuff that, you know, Pastor Tim tells me I need to make sure that I'm enjoying and get out while this, but I didn't feel like doing anything. I barely got off the couch, unmotivated. You ever felt that way? Sometimes days like that turn into weeks for some of us or months, seasons, even years. What's frightening is when churches or Christians kind of have those unmotivated times, because when you're unmotivated and your hands aren't Diligent. If we're not making the most of the time, then we can find other things to do. Sometimes those things aren't God-honoring things. Sometimes we get distracted by life. Sometimes we find that the fire, that fire that we had, kind of grows dim. Sometimes we wonder, if, is it there at all? Well, where we're looking here in Ezekiel chapter 36... This was a time in the history of Israel where the nation was almost dead. 
The majority of them were in captivity. And those that were not, those that were still actively in fellowship with one another were spiritually dead. There was no active priesthood. There was no place to bring sacrifices. Worship had gone dead. Their identity as a nation was in captivity. And and most of it was their own fault. But God in his faithfulness sends them a prophet. And this prophet's name was Ezekiel. And God spoke through the prophet and he repeated a promise that God has been making all through the Old Testament. And he makes it again in chapter 36, verse 26. Speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, this is a promise that God had given more than once to his people, where he promised that there would come a day where he would remove their heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh. This deadness, this spiritual deadness that they were experiencing, this lukewarmness, this mediocrity, in some cases, outright rebellion against God. He said, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. In fact, he says, my spirit will cause you to obey. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I read that, I'm like, yeah, I need one of those because I need some help in obeying. I want God's spirit. There's times when I feel like my heart, 18 years of church ministry, sometimes it gets a little jaded. Sometimes it gets a little been there, done that, seen that, heard that. Here we go again. Sorry, I can't afford therapy and you're here. I'm just being honest. Well, he promised that to them before, but it wasn't just for Israel. You see, this promise also points to the new covenant. This promise also points us to Jesus. That God in flesh would come to earth. He would show us how to live. He would show us how to love. He would offer himself as a sacrifice. He would conquer Satan's sin and death by not only dying on a cross, but coming back to life three days later. We're going to celebrate that in two weeks. And his victory would allow us to have a relationship with God and receive that new heart, receive that new spirit, receive the very spirit of God. Now, when we're living that way, that's a life that's come alive. That's not a walking dead person. That's a walking live person. That's a heart that's caught on fire. That's what Jesus meant when he said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you would have life and have it to the full. And I've experienced that, to be honest. And many of us as Christians would say that we have. But you know what I've also experienced is what I've already shared. Where it's like, where did that go? Where did that go? Feels like the fire sometimes grows a little bit dim. And so back to Ezekiel. That's the promise. And then we get to chapter 37. And one of the most strange visions in all of scripture. You can't make this stuff up. God's just super creative. He gives Ezekiel a super trippy vision. Which is what the whole series is based on. Goes like this starting in verse 1. Then the hand of the Lord was upon me. 
And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones. Now, right there, I expect Clint Eastwood to just walk around the corner or ride up on a horse. You guys with me? No, nobody or Jeremiah Johnson, whatever you like. It doesn't matter. John Wayne. Okay. The Duke. Will that make you smile? So the spirit brings him into the valley and it's full of bones. Verse two. And he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now, most of us hate the sound of our own voice. Right? That's why we don't like to watch videos of ourselves or listen to recordings or so forth. I include myself in that. But I want you to know as I read that in my mind, I just imagine Johnny Cash was reading that. <laughs> and that gravelly baritone, prophesy, son of man. You know, and oh Lord, you know. What's this about? This vision as given to the prophet Ezekiel, this is the state of Israel in God's view. That they're spiritually dead. In fact, they're beyond spiritually dead. It's, it says that there were just a valley of bones. And it says that they were very dry. Very dry bones. They've been dead for a while. And as Ezekiel looks out, God asks him these questions. And, and then God tells Ezekiel what he wants him to do. And we see Ezekiel obedient to God. And then behold, there's a rattling, right? And then all of a sudden... There's sinew, and there's muscle, and there's movement, and there's life, and there's breath. And what stands up? An exceedingly great army. This is the inspiration for rattle. I want you to notice some things. What I don't want to propose is some kind of formula that says, if you do this, then God's going to do that. And here's the steps, and here's the little mathematic formula, because that's not the way God works. I know this because I'm 50, almost 51, and I've tried that way. I've tried treating God like a divine vending machine, and I found out that he's a for real God. 
that I don't get to make the rules. I don't get to make him do what I want him to do. So I don't see a formula in this chapter 36 and 37, but I do see a progression and I want to point it out to you. God makes a promise, right? He promised a new heart, a new spirit. He promised real life and life to the full. Marriage is full of joy. Christians full of passion. Churches that are vibrant and excited about getting together on a weekend and excited about getting together in groups and excited about giving and excited about multiplying and passionate about the lost and missions. That's abundant life. God makes promises. But then we see the next part of the progression. God asks for obedience. He said to Ezekiel, after asking him this question, he said, prophesy to the bones. Prophesy to the bones. Now, what this means in this context, when he says prophesy, he says, speak truth to the bones. Speak my truth to the bones. Preach to the bones. And this is what you're going to tell them. What we see out of Ezekiel is obedience. Ezekiel doesn't claim to know what's happening. He doesn't even know why he's in this trippy vision. But he's there. And God says, prophesy to the bones. And so he does. He speaks God's truth and it washes over the bones. And then there comes that place where we hear the rattle. The little bit of movement just a little bit of movement where there shouldn't have been movement. Remember, these bones are very dry, but there's a little bit of movement. And then behold, it turns into a lot of movement, sinews and muscle and life and breath. And then (laughs) an exceedingly great army. Isn't that cool? It's not a formula. But it is a progression. And I think it's a progression that if you look back through history, it's a progression that every revival follows. Promise. Obedience. There's movement. And an exceedingly great army is produced. So let's break it down into just look at three verses in the time we have left. First, we see dry bones. Dry bones. Now, I've already said that, that Israel was spiritually dead. And in the vision, these bones are very dry. And, and what I would say is that's when in my life, maybe in yours, maybe in the life of some people within our church, that's when we kind of lose our sense of urgency. We lose our sense of urgency about our marriages. We lose our sense of urgency about discipleship or our sense of urgency about giving or the need for a new building or, or, or just to be passionate about come and, and not have any critical eye at all. God, I'm just here to worship you and experience you, to hear from you. We kind of lose that, right? We get distracted by the kids stuff. We get distracted by the governor stuff. We get distracted by the news. We get distracted by social media, by our boss, by our financial issues, health issues. Sometimes the distractions are of our own making, where we choose to do our own thing instead of God's thing. It becomes a sin thing. This is the Christian life for many of us. And so when it says dry bones, I would say any life, it doesn't matter if it's a man, woman, student, child, where we kind of lose that spirit life, that sense of urgency. And I was thinking about that. How, How do I describe that without just making up my own opinion? And so, of course, for me, that means I'm always going to go to Scripture. And I, I found myself in the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not going to put these on the screen because this is like a six-week study. 
And I'm not going to take you through the six-week study except to give you the highlight reel. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Revelation is is God's prophetic vision given to John to to give to us about the end of all things. And in chapter 2 and chapter 3, God speaks to seven different churches. And he has a warning for all of these churches. And he tells them why he has a warning for all of these churches. There's, There's a specific pervasive trend of each one of these churches. Now, this isn't a guessing game. Where, where you're going to try to figure out who the tabernacle is, right? Because we could be all of them. We could be none of them. But most likely, each one of us could find ourselves in one of these descriptions in God's warning to the seven churches in Revelation. To the first one, it was the church in Ephesus. God's spirit says to this church, to this person, to this Christian, He says, I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. What God has against them is they've become loveless. They've become joyless. They've become passionless. And you know, when I was reading that, I was like, yeah, you know, I feel like that weekly. What scripture is telling me here is that God's not okay with that. God's not okay with that. You know, I was trying to put it in the context of of human relationship and in my own relationship with my wife. You know, if I were to come home, hey, sweetheart, how you doing? I'm just not feeling it today. I'm feeling no passion for you, no joy for you, no love pretty much. Eh, Just one of those days. I'll get through it. It will not go well for me. That was free marriage advice. You're welcome. You have to work to keep the joy, work to keep the passion. You have to work in a relationship and especially with God to keep that first love to the church at Smyrna. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. And then he goes on to speak about their sufferings. What he describes is a church that has become dry bones because they're exhausted. They're beat down physically. They're beat down emotionally. They're beat down spiritually. He knows them. He sees them. He realizes what they're going through. They've become dry bones. At any given moment, we have people in our church, in our midst, in our student ministry, that are just exhausted. Sometimes life does that, doesn't it? I don't know how many times I've talked to friends be a texter on the phone that's like, it's another week. I just don't know if I can pull through this week. The same old, same old. To the church in Pergamum. This church was a church that had become immoral because of false teaching. They had a teacher that was preaching to them what their itching ears wanted to hear. They were a church that was saying, did God really say? And you know what? Paul didn't really have it all figured out. We're going to go ahead and take the standards of the world and we're going to import it with really what we want to do. We're going to call ourselves Christians, but essentially live the way we want. He says to them, that's a dead church. And the first warning, he says, I'm about to remove your lampstand. That means judgment is coming. On any given campus, on any given listener, in any given family, doesn't matter the age. When we start following our own way instead of God's way, 
These are dry bones. The church in Thyatira, this church, their big deal is they'd become tolerant. They'd become tolerant. You know, that word tolerant has been hijacked in the vernacular of our our culture in 2021. Can I tell you something? Tolerance is not a virtue. It's not a virtue. Loving people is a virtue. Being kind to people is a virtue. Being gracious towards people, even those that you disagree with, is a virtue. But tolerating sin in your own life will find you condemned by God. And tolerating sin in people around you's lives, especially Christians where you don't speak up. That was the sin of Thyatira. They tolerated false teaching. It says you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. You know, sometimes we cause our own spiritual dry bones with our secret sins. I've said it before, I'll keep saying it again because it makes people uncomfortable. Sexual sin is killing the church in North America. Scripture also says your sins will find you out. Surely your sins will find you out. God cannot be mocked. Some of us, we've been desperate for God to speak or move or act or hear our prayer, but we think we can indulge in all types of immorality and that God will turn a blind eye. To the church in Sardis, <laughs> love what he says to them. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. It's just a dead church. You're just a dead church. You're a dead Christian. And then he says, wake up. So the Sardis church was sleepy Sardis. They were dead asleep. They need rattled. You know, have you ever tried to wake up a teenager in your house? Wake up. Time to go to school. Some of my kids, I can shake them for hours. It feels like. And then just leave them there. Unfortunately, sometimes as Christians, we go to sleep like that. We're dead asleep. And there's nothing a preacher can say. There's nothing a worship service can do. There's no amount of anything that can wake it up. We've just gone unconscious. To the church in Philadelphia, they were powerless. He says, I know that you have but little power. You know, we worship a God that brings the dead back to life. That we worship a God that can, that can take my sinful heart and give me his righteousness. A God that conquered Satan's sin and death on the cross and through his resurrection. And sometimes we think that it's no big deal. So we have powerless Christians that equal powerless churches. And then we wonder why the state of our country is the way that it is. Finally, to the church in Laodicea, this is probably the most famous ones. He goes, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. These are the dry bones. These are the dry bones. You know, I just wonder here and in Manistee, if you would say right now, before God, yeah, I've got some dry bones. Would you put your hand up with me? Because I'm confessing it too. It's good to know we're not alone.
So can these bones live? Can these bones live? That's the question God asked Ezekiel. Son of man, can these bones live? I love Ezekiel's answer. It's such a faithful answer. He says, Lord, you know. Lord, you know. In other words, you've brought me out to this valley of dry bones, and I don't even know what to think, so I'm just going to stay in my lane. I think this is a trick question. Can these bones live? Lord, you know. Lord, you know. The good news is what we learn from the vision is that they can live. And so I'm wondering, what, what can I possibly do to see this life return, to see the fire stoked, to renew the joys, it says in Scripture, the joy of my salvation? Because I get excited if, if, if that can happen in my heart, if that can happen in our hearts. It's, it's like, wow, there's nothing God can't do in us and through us. So it's like, what do I do? Now, when I start thinking, Lord, what do you want me to do? Usually it's nothing (laughs) because he's a for real God that way. But sometimes every once in a while he throws me a bone. And so in preparation for this series, I found him sending me to the book of James. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of James, James chapter four. Now, the book of James is like, for those of us that are doers, that, that want to get out and get after it, Lord, tell me what to do. What is your mission? I want it practical and tactical. Just read the book of James. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's just practical Christian living. There's no super deep theology. It's like, hey, if uh, you say you have faith, then you're going to have to show that you have works because faith without works is dead. So here, do this. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't. It's just, it tells you what to do. It breaks it down. And so I find myself in the book of James saying, can these bones live? Can these bones live? And in chapter four, starting halfway through verse two, this is what God says to us. This is what God says to every single one of us who put our hand in the air. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That means to be his enemy. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says... God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, look, I know that there's a lot in there, but I wanted to read all of it because, again, it's not a formula, but in there is a progression. There's a progression. And if you've experienced dry bones, if you feel like your heart, your life, your family, your marriage, your community of friends, your relationships needs any kind of new life, there's a progression in here that you ought to pay attention to. And it's real practical and it's real simple. He says, you don't ask because you don't, or you don't have because you don't ask. He's saying, 
Did you think to ask me for something? I'm your God that cares about you. Bring your concerns to me. Bring your burdens to me. So he says, you do not have because you do not ask. And then secondly, he says, and and the problem is sometimes when you do ask, you ask for the wrong reasons. You ask for your own personal gain instead of asking me what I want. What brings honor and glory to me? He reminds us that we should be more concerned with our relationship with God than the world. And then down in verse 6, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And here's the key. For those of you that underline and take notes and stuff, verse 8's the key. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, that is a formula. That's a promise. Did you catch that? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Are you going to win the lottery? I don't know. But if you draw near to God, guess what? He'll draw near to you. Is a marriage going to work out? I don't know. But if you draw near to God, guess who's going to draw near to you? This is for us. Can these bones live? God knows. And there's a promise. When we draw near to God for God's sake, bones start rattling. When we draw near to God for God's sake, just for the sake of wanting to be intimate and in relationship with Him, hearts come alive, relationships are transformed. Communities are changed. Churches catch on fire. Not in the fire truck way, but in the spiritual way. Movements happen. Lost people are saved. Hard hearts are given hearts of flesh. But it happens when we draw near to God. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Try that on for size because it helps us remember. And I also, as I've said before, it helps me know your life. Say, draw near to God. Oh, you got the whole thing. First try. I don't know what they're doing in Man of Steel. We got to do that again because I was all sorts of jacked up. Ready? Draw near to God. Well done. When we draw near to God, he draws near to us. How do we do that? How do we do that? We pray. We repent. We purify our hearts. We seek him. You know, this past week... uh, our staff on Tuesday, uh, we had an all staff meeting in Manistee and uh, Pastor Ben, our executive pastor of ministry, led us through this discussion about prayer because our staff, our leadership has taken it very seriously that we can't, we can't go as a church anywhere that we haven't tried to go first. So we're not perfect. We don't have it all figured out, but we as a staff feel like God is driving us to our knees in prayer. That God is calling us into deeper, intimate relationship with him. Our staff is buying into that verse from the book of James. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So we're trying to do that together. So Pastor Ben is taking us through this discussion. And and there's some really good thoughts about prayer. Now, I don't want you to freak out about prayer. And some more of this will come out in the Rattle series a little bit later. But, you know, some of the things we talked about is, you, you know, you really can't screw prayer up. 
I mean, as long as you're humbling yourself and talking to the God of the Bible, right? You really can't mess it up because scripture says that his spirit actually translates for us when we pray. And there's so many of us that are afraid to pray because we think we have to do fancy like microphone prayers that someone does from a stage like this. When the fact is that God knows what you need before you even ask. And the very fact that you come to him, it says in the book of Hebrews that his spirit intercedes for us and translates for you. He knows your language. He knows what you mean. And so we kind of shared that. And then some people were talking about praying without ceasing. Well, what does that look like? I mean, I have to go to work. I can't, you know, be in traffic with my eyes closed, you know, and all that. It was a good discussion. You with me so far? Well, Ben ended our time by just saying, hey, let's spend some time praying together. And it seemed to make sense. We're coming up on the rattle series. We're asking God for, to do some things in our life. We want to draw near to you, God. Will you draw near to us? And, and you know, we want to pray for the church. And so uh, he said, yeah, just let's take some requests. And Ben gets up there with his pad and paper, and he starts taking notes, right? And, and people are sharing, like, physical needs. You know, these people with cancer and heart issues, you know, and, you know, people are praying about ministry and I'm in the back, you know, I'm sitting next to uh, my friend Lou, who's on our board and he'd come to the meeting and, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, we're going to pray for revival. We're going to pray for five new campuses by June, you know, I mean, cause that's how dumb I am. Right. And, or, or, you know, we need a thousand kids, the founder student ministry. I'm thinking of all the, you know, and, and some people are sharing deep stuff. This one lady started sharing about a relationship in her extended family that was being ravaged by alcoholism. And I mean, it, it was deep and Ben's writing all of these kind of notes down. Right. And, and I'm just about ready to drop, you know, some lead pastor requests down from 30,000 feet. And then, and then Lou over here speaks up. Lou's hand goes up. And now you got to know, I love Lou. I respect Lou. This is a, this is a godly man. This guy's been a, me- a leadership mentor in my life, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, well, Lou's got something good. And Lou, you know, after all these other things, puts his hands up and bends, yeah, Lou. And he goes, yeah, I've lost my wallet. <laughs> and uh, I need my billfold. Um, it's, been, it's been three days and yeah, it's pretty important that I get it back and can't find it. Now, I'm sitting beside Lou like, <laughs> wallets? And then I drop my real important request out there, you know, a little redirect. And I'm still thinking, well, you know, it's kind of old. Yeah, then I got home, got an email, probably didn't look at it till the next morning. And it was from Lou. This is what it said. It said, we have not because we ask not. God has been inviting me to humble myself and to believe in the power that comes from being a redeemed son of God, to rebuke the father of lies To believe there is authority in Jesus' name and that he is present with us and desires fellowship. After spending three days searching for my wallet, I came home from Manistee and found it within a minute. Thanks for praying. I felt compelled to share this with you to give God the glory and to encourage others that if he cares about leading me to my wallet. How much more 
will he fight for the souls of the suffering prisoners of the evil one and give them peace. Now, the rest of the story goes like this. At our board meeting on Thursday, I confessed to Lou. I said, man, thanks for that email. Because I got to be honest, when we're dropping all those heavy things before the rattle series that we needed God to disrupt the status quo, and you said wallet, I was like, bro. And he said, well, let me tell you, John, um, I felt the same way. I didn't want to say a word. I didn't want to bother that heavy staff moment with wallet. But the thing is, is I felt like God was saying, ask me, ask me, do it. Ask about your wallet. Lou's not a dumb guy. (laughs) He knows that sounds kind of out there, but God was saying, would you obey me? Would you humble yourself and raise your hand and say, this is what I need prayer for. So I did. You see the progression? There's a promise. Somebody obeys. And behold. A rattling. Behold. A rattling. The reason that caught my attention. The sermon's not about wallets. It's about the first little movement that there's a God who hears, a God who sees, a God who cares, a God who's moving, a God who's full of power. He knows what you need even before you ask. He's so powerful, he can tell you what you should be praying for. Isn't that cool? When I saw that, I was like, Literally, I'm reading the email and I went complete Old Testament prophet except for the toga. I've read that and put it down and went, and behold, a rattling. Because it was like, ooh, what if that could happen for you? What if that could happen in your home, in your situation, with what you're going through? Do you believe that God still moves that way? I do. Homework assignment. The band's going to come while they're coming. Here's your homework assignment. Here's our homework assignment. First of all, I'm going to ask you to humble yourself and take a homework assignment from me. Because I know some of you just would rather be entertained, but this is going to be participation. For the Rattle series to have any effect in our lives, both here, Manistee, across the nation, or whoever, wherever you're listening or watching, this is the homework assignment for this week. The first thing is the same thing I said last week. Let's repent and turn back to God. If there's sin in your life, this is the week to repent of sin. This is the week to get help. This is the week to confess. This is the week to turn away. You may not do it perfectly, but this is the week. This is how it starts. If, if we're to do this together and stand up full of life, an exceedingly great army, it starts with individuals, right? So repent is the first thing. The second thing is pray. Pray. We'll talk more about prayer, but all I want you to do right now is go, yeah, I can pray. Start praying every day the way our staff's been. Pray about everything for your needs, for their needs, for your church, for missions, for your wallet. Start seeking God. 
Here's the third thing. And you're smart people. You can figure this out. What does it look like in your life to draw near to God? What does it look like to take your attention, to no longer be lukewarm, to no longer be asleep, to no longer be running in that direction, but what does it look like for me this week to draw near to God? He promised he'll draw near to me. And if I do it for his sake and his sake alone, wow, behold, there'll be a rattling. That's how it starts. It's hot in here, but I'm getting chills just thinking about it. We got some other cool things planned. We're going to do that this week. Next week is Palm Sunday. It's going to be a big celebration. The same way they celebrated when Jesus came into Jerusalem. Big celebration. Super fired up about that. Passion week. Guess what we're going to do as a church? You get a mini sermon every day of the week. We'll either email it to you if we have your email address. It'll be on the social media stuff, on the Facebook and the Instagram. Insta tweets, all that, right? Just like a little three-minute devo for the Passion Week. We'll say, this is what Jesus was doing on Tuesday between Palm Sunday and, the, and his death. This is what he's doing on Thursday. And you'll get a prayer request for that day. So our entire church, one church, two locations, all watching the same thing on the same day with the same prayer focus all day long. We've already got it all lined up. We've been working, y'all. We've been hard at work. I don't care if you're in Cancun. I don't care if you're on spring break. If you're stupid enough to go to Disney World. Come on, that was funny. Give that money to the church and I'll sing you a song. Um, But we got big stuff planned for Passion Week, right? Then we're going to have Good Friday services, both locations. And we're calling our church to this on Good Friday. We're calling our church not just to pray, but to fast. We'll explain more about what fasting is about and why Christians do it. It's not to get God's attention, it's to get our attention. And we're calling on our church. And to everyone who calls this their church, even those that still haven't been able to come out because of pandemic. We want to fast from sundown on Good Friday to Easter Sunday morning. 36 hours. We're going to open both campuses to be places of prayer. You guys, I believe in this. We need to be upset, disrupted, the status quo disturbed in my heart, in our hearts. So we'll give you more information. Would you pray with me? God, would you rattle us awake? Young and old, new Christians, old Christians, dry bones. Only you know, Lord. But you've promised if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. Because it's intimacy that you desire. God, we love you. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.